I am Plot on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Another terrific debut this season is the novel from Lindsay Zier Vogel. Letters to Amelia at once evokes the myth and mystery of Amelia Earhart, the famed pilot who disappeared in 1937, as well as illustrates the connection that uh, can be had through letter writing. In the book, there are letters that are written to, by Earhart to a lover, and it is the task of the novel's central character, Grace Porter, to catalog them for the research library that she works at. Grace finds a connection with the letters. I'll get Lindsay to tell us about Grace, what Grace is going through, and how she views Earhart, which naturally has ramifications on her own life. I've just started the book, and it's uh, fascinating and absorbing. Lindsay Zier Vogel is a writer, arts educator, and creator of the Love Lettering Project. Visit lindsayzierwogel.com for more. The book is published by Book Hug Press. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Lindsay Zier Vogel. Ms. Zier Vogel, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, so the, the main character in, in the book, Grace Porter, th- things aren't going great for her when we first meet her in the book. What's happening? So uh, when the book opens, Grace uh, has a very broken heart. So her partner of seven years has just left her, and she's reeling in, in what that means for her, what that you know has meant for her over the last little while that she's been seen. So she is, she is in a dark place when the book opens. Yeah, and, and she's, she's uh, sick too, isn't she? She's just. She's not uh, feeling well physically as well, right? I think. I mean, I think the grief is really manifesting in her yeah. body. I think that that is sort of where she's at. Where does she work? She works at the Thomas Fisher Rare Book Library, which is um, the Rare Book Library in Toronto. It's uh, at the University of Toronto. It is a really big uh, building that uh, you know the the Rare Book Library is one part of this sort of large building that is big concrete monstrosity that is very polarizing uh-huh. uh, for people in Toronto. And so uh, uh, some people say that it was built to look like a peacock. And so she works in the sort of breast of the peacock is where is where the rare book library is. As someone who likes books, it was, it was refreshing to, to have a, a novel set in a library, especially a library like that where um, um, it, it's um, not... I mean, the general public is is obviously able to go there, but it's 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 rather limited in in um, the sort of people that go in there usually, and mm-hmm. and um, it, it's just like any workplace, isn't it? And that's what uh, was so much fun for me. So I spent quite a bit of time as a grad student in the Rare Book Library, you know, looking up manuscript boxes and old books and that sort of thing. Um, but to actually get uh, you know, taken on these tours and to see like the staff room that literally looks like any other staff room in any <laughs> other workplace, yeah. and you know to figure out the sort of, um, I mean, not that any of the characters are based on any of the and the staff at the library, yeah, but and yeah. um, you know to be able to be like, oh yeah, of course there's going to be work politics and there's going to be you know that annoying boss or that like frustrating coworker and like you know that happens in any workplace, even if it's this you know really beautiful uh, yeah. you know book filled place. Yeah, yeah. So, so Grace is is tasked with, um, uh, I guess, organizing these letters that have been found of Amelia Earhart. How much how much does she know about Earhart at this point? So, at the beginning of the novel, she knows not very much at all. She can sort of remember that she, you know, uh, was a pilot and that you know she was probably a feminist, and that was kind of all she really knew about her. And so, she starts the novel really not knowing anything about her, and. To be honest, I don't even think she's really all that interested in figuring out who Amelia is. At the mm-hmm. beginning, she's too swept up in her own heartbreak, in her own life, and figuring out sort of how she's going to move on from, you know, uh, Jamie leaving her. So I think at the beginning, Amelia Earhart is not 
particularly even interesting yeah. <laughs> to, to grade. Yeah, and, and um, the thing that I enjoyed about re- reading um, the book and, and these letters that, that you wrote, or that Earhart wrote, um, uh, is that she's so much more than her disappearance. I guess, you know, um, th- that's really what people know her for now, isn't it? Absolutely, and I think that that was really important for me to, uh, because that is also my fascination with Amelia Earhart. So, so much of what is talked about and, you know, written about and, you know, what the general public knows is that, you know, she was this pilot who disappeared and, you know, no one's been able to figure out what happened to her. And, you know, all of that is true, yeah. all of that is interesting, but there's so much more about Amelia Earhart's life um, that I think, you know, so much more about how she lived and who she was and who she was living. Uh, it, it, to me, it just matters a lot more than her disappearance, Indeed. for sure. Indeed. Um, so who are these letters written to? So, uh, and I wrote the letters, they're not right, actually yeah. written by Amelia. Mm-hmm. So, um they are written to her lover, Jean Vidal. So in the novel, it is her lover. In uh, the world outside of my novel, it's, uh, there are rumors that it was her lover, so it wasn't confirmed. Right. And, and, and so what is it like to, to uh, take on her voice, as it were? You know, that's funny. It was, it was one of the last sort of big things that I did when I was writing, you know, the sort of uh, full novel. Right. And that's sort of when I was doing, like, edits uh, uh-huh. and that sort of thing. But, and it was... The, a lot, the novel took a really long time to write. It took me a really long time to find the plot and the structure and the voice and all that stuff. Uh, but writing Amelia's letters was strangely the easiest part out of everything that I did with this novel. I did a lot of, um, I mean, I spent a lot of time researching Amelia, obviously, like years and years and years. Um, and so I was really invested in the story and her narrative. Uh, but when it was time to find her voice, I you know, got a, a bunch of her books. She's written three books, and I could barely read them. They were written, I didn't even finish any of them, actually. They were mm-hmm. written in this very, um, very scripted, very over-edited tone. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it just didn't have any um, of Amelia's, what I what I sort of read, or what I presume would be, like, you know, her life and her, her energy and her, um, you know, identity in them they were they seemed very flat you know she did a lot of writing for cosmo magazine she did a lot of writing she did a lot of public speaking but i just didn't feel like um what i had access to sort of in these very formal settings really captured who she was um uh, purdue university has you know so many of her letters so many of her like they have all of her papers there and again it was really interesting to see her handwriting to see you know her letterhead but again i was really missing that um her voice, like yeah. her true voice. So I found a collection of books, uh, a book that is a collection of letters she wrote to her mother from mm-hmm. when she was four years old until right before her disappearance, like 37. Yeah, yeah. And these letters just unlocked Amelia's voice for me. They just, they became, it became very clear who she was, what she was interested in, what she talked about, how she talked about things. So that really unlocked Amelia's voice for me. Yeah, it, it, they're fascinating to read because they they um, they obviously reveal something about Grace, uh, and and Grace's uh, situation and character as she reads them. But um, the other thing that I was thinking about as, as I was reading letters to Amelia, um, at the I mean you, you mentioned her disappearance in 1937. Um, at the time, um, this is even before the disappearance. She was a she was a well known figure. She was a celebrity essentially in mm-hmm. the United States, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, she was. Yeah, and that sort of started earlier. So she, mm-hmm. um, in the late twenties, she flew across. 
she I, and she called herself a sack of potatoes. So she flew in a plane from uh, Newfoundland to oh, where did they land? Uh, to to Wales, mm. and but she didn't fly. She wasn't allowed to fly. But she was the first woman to cross the ocean in a plane. So she became a celebrity, right. and she resented that and hated that because she didn't actually fly anything. She didn't you know she didn't have she didn't do the thing that she already was doing. She was already a pilot, but you know the men who were with her didn't let her touch the, the controls. Yeah. And so I think after that, she became a celebrity. They started calling her Lady Lindy after Charles Lindbergh. She became that sort of larger-than-life personality at that point. And then, you know, she went on to then fly the Atlantic, across the Atlantic by herself, which I think really sort of cemented that definition for her, uh, like self-definition for herself. Yeah. That's the other thing that I was thinking about as I was reading the book is um, this is a time where flying is, is relatively new. Um, mm-hmm. And um, you know, getting high up, you know, must have been a thrill for anybody. Um, and then, and then you have uh, obviously this mystery about um, what happened to her. Um, it's it's just a fascinating time to to, to think about. And and um, um, having not not flown in recent months, um, has your idea of flight has that taken on a new meaning? Say, you know, it's funny. I feel like I learned a lot about what flying was really like back then. It was kind of like riding a bike in some ways like you'd just like you'd crash and then you'd get out and you'd fix it and you'd yeah. get back on and you'd fly. like it, it yeah. had yeah. a very you know it, it was a very sort of i mean you needed money so that was yeah. you know yeah. a, very much a barrier for a lot of people but um they were you know they were constructed out of you know fabric and wood like they they were they didn't have that sort of like plain quality that we think of you know generally speaking today i um so my grandfather uh, on my my mom's uh, dad was um, was a flight instructor during the war, so planes have always sort of been in my life. My paternal grandfather was a navigator during the war. My dad was obsessed with airplanes um, throughout my childhood, and you know continues to be. So I went to a lot of air shows as a kid, which mm. I hated. Um, <laughs> I went to you know Air Force bases as a kid, which I also hated. Like I just so I've been surrounded by flying my whole life and airplanes. Um, but I, I, I really rejected it a lot. I, I didn't like it. I didn't love anything about it um, until, I mean, I like, you know, traveling. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of that, like, you know, getting into planes thing, it, it was really my dad's thing, and it really wasn't mine. Uh, and so it was really fun to be able to get into planes in a way that made sense to me and to be able to, you know, text my dad and say, like, hey, how does this rudder work? Or, you know, if I was flying to Saskatchewan from Toronto – what would my altitude be, you know, cruising altitude be? And, you know, within two seconds, I'd have a text back from him with, you know, yeah. way more details than I could ever use. Um, so it was nice to sort of get inside of flying in planes and, you know, looking at photos of Toronto during the First World War. Mm-hmm. The University of Toronto campus where I went, you know, would be covered with um, tents for the, you know, Air Force or with planes. Uh, like, you know, the, the landscape that I know was really filled with planes in a way that would be, you know, totally strange and make no sense today. Yeah, yeah. Well, so as Grace reads these letters um, uh, of Amelia Earhart, what sort of relationship um, does Grace develop with her? I think, you know, at first she's just doing it because it's her job and she's supposed to, you know, record with the, um, you know, do synopses of these letters so that yeah. they can eventually be published, um, you know, to a portal so that people can access them, like digitized portal. Yeah. So, you know, originally it's just a job and she just, you know, 
not to do it. And as she starts learning a bit more about Amelia doing her own sort of Google research, like not, not very extensive, but, you know, Googling yeah. um, things that come up and that sort of thing, she starts to get a bit more invested in, you know, Amelia as a person. And then, you know, her heart's so broken and she's reading all these love letters between Amelia and this and, and her lover, Jean. And I think she starts really, you know, thinking about love and thinking about relationships and thinking about her own relationships and, you know, what she had and what she didn't have and what she deserved um, and what she wants out of life. So I think she, she really starts figuring out some things about herself. Um, and then as she's sort of, you know, coming to, and again, this isn't a spoiler, it's on the back of the book, uh, mm-hmm. but Grace becomes pregnant mm-hmm. and um, she starts, and, you know, she's really unsure about what to do with this pregnancy. She's unsure about how she feels about it. She's unsure whether she should keep the baby. It's, it's you know, really complicated for her. And in that, she does, you know, a Google research and finds out that there are rumors that Amelia was also pregnant at one point. And so she, I think in that moment, she really feels the sort of connection between, you know, feeling connected to Amelia sort of crosses a line and she begins writing her own letters to Amelia mm. um, to sort of process her own feelings, to sort of think about, um, you know, what's happening in her own life and, and sort of using Amelia sort of as a mentor and as a guide, uh, even though, you know, clearly she's not going to be hearing back from her anytime soon. Right. And then those letters play a part later on in the story, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, she, you know, she continues to write uh, letters as she's sort of processing, you know, all of all of this sort of pregnancy. And, and you know, there's, a, there's a search party that starts going to find Amelia, which, you know, it happens every two or three years. Yeah, there's yeah. a group of people that go down and they're going to find her this time and everyone's certain it's going to happen. And then, of course, you know, it never happens. and Nobody ever finds yeah. you know, any definitive proof. Um, so they sort of line up together when, when you know, Grace is in her third trimester and feeling really panicking about what's going to happen in her life. And then, you know, she feels like she's going to lose Amelia because the world is going to have access to her at this point, you know, through the letters that she's been working on and through this um find her that's happening expedition yeah so your book is another marvelous example of why letters are such an important uh, part of of of, uh, life of culture that that has seemingly been lost uh we don't do them as we should and and i know that letters are an important part of your life they are letters letters matter so much i just uh I'm looking at this big stack i just got so i've always been a letter writer Uh um and i just uh Friend, after the book got published, um, an old friend, like 30 years ago, contacted me and said, I have a stack of letters you wrote to me you know, 30 years ago. Wow. So we met up, and so I have this stack of letters that I wrote uh, that I don't remember writing, of course, because you know, I don't remember things that I wrote when I was 12. Um, <laughs> but like all of these letters, uh, these, there's a record sort of of myself that um, you know, now I have access to. It's quite strange, actually, because yeah. I was never the intended recipient. Um, my grandmother and I, uh, my maternal grandmother and I wrote letters. You know, I just found them. Uh, you know, from the time it was just like a scribble on a page, and my mom would sort of transcribe them uh, until her death. And again, when she died, I got a huge binder of all the letters I had written to my grandmother. She had saved every single one. Uh-huh. So I feel like letters, yeah, they matter. I think that they're really important. I think that there's there's something about the, the sort of time machine that sort of, the, the they really capture a moment in time in a way that photos don't quite, you know, photos can sort of trigger those memories. Yeah, but yeah. being able to read what was what you were thinking about or what was you know, happening, or I feel like there's such a, it's a record in a way that, you know, 
doesn't really happen in any other medium. You know, like with text messages, text messages are great. I send them all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, they don't have that same quality. Same with emails, same with DMs. Like, I feel like there's something about pen on paper. There's something about taking that moment to sit and write. There's something about, you know, the whole physical process. You know, you have to find a piece of paper, find a pen, sit down, take the time, hold it up, put it in an envelope, find a stamp, take it to the, Like, there's so much, it's so much more involved than um, other forms of communication that we have access to. Again, there's nothing wrong with other forms of communication, yeah, yeah. but I feel like there's something really intimate and special, you know, like, opening up a letter, uh, opening up an envelope, you know, there's something about it that is just so, so intimate, it's so immediate, you know, to, to have that sort of direct connection, um, to see someone's handwriting, you know, that's something that we just don't see a lot yeah, of anymore. Yeah. I still see, like, if I see my grandmother's handwriting, I, like, instantly burst into tears without even meaning to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's so personal in a way that, you know, an email is always going to be in, like, Arial size 12, you know, like <laughs> you're not going to get that same differentiation. You know, when you open up your email, you're going to get, you know, an email from your boss and a lovely note from a friend and, you know, a thing that you need to respond to that you don't want to. Like, whereas, you know, with a letter, it's different. You know, yeah. you're not going to be getting the, that slew, especially these days. I mean, you might get a bill or two in the mail, but probably not even. Yeah, yeah. The um, that that's the thing. The um, I, I have beautiful emails from friends or from colleagues or people that I've met. Um, but, but you know, I've been thinking recently. You know, since since uh, two thousand at least, I've had about three emails, uh, three email addresses, mm-hmm. and with each one, you know, there's there's a part of your life that's lost. Whereas you know, people do keep letters that they get in the mail, don't they? They, they have a stack. They have a shoebox, say full or. I, I file things away in a file cabinet. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So there, there is. There, and it's a tangible record. Like I. Yeah. I mean, eventually people are going to be, you know, I mean, what what's the Thomas Fisher Rare Book Library going to do eventually when you know all of the correspondence is on email? I don't know. Get a thumb drive or something. Or people's <laughs> emails. Like I don't know. Probably they'll they'll figure it out. The archivists will know what to do with it, but. Uh, you know, it, it'll be really different. It'll just be—it'll be different for sure. Yeah, the notices for for uh, letters to Amelia have been quite good. Um, what what is that like to to release a book and and to for, first of all to write a book, then release it, and then have the reception that it that it has had? It's been so delightful. It's been really exciting to hear. Um, you know, yes, of course, it's critics. Of course, that matters. Uh-huh. And I've been, you know. I feel really lucky that the reception has been really warm and welcoming and excited and um, like there have been really thoughtful reviews of the work. Um, and just hearing from, like I got an email from a neighbor who I've never met, uh, though I know a lot of people in my street, but I don't know this one person. And she, you know, I don't know, an email had gone around saying, you know, Lindsay at this number wrote this book. And, and I guess she got the email, found the book, read the book, and just loved it. And it was just this really long, beautiful email from this person that, I don't know, like, mm. you know, and she's detailing, you know, when, you know, the sections in Newfoundland really made me think of this trip that I took with my husband, and, it, like, I just love hearing um, how the book is intersecting with people's lives and how, you know, they talk about the letters they've received or the trips to Newfoundland, that's often the thing, or um, there's a one moment where Grace uh, decides to not go to a baby shower, and, uh, like, how much that resonated with a lot of people. Like, yeah. either like, oh, my God, I can't believe she'd do that. Or, oh, my God, I can't believe she wouldn't. Like, I would never do that. Um, so that's been that's been a, a lot of fun. I've been doing a whole bunch of book clubs. Uh-huh. Uh, I have another one tonight. And it's so much fun to hear, you know, readers talking about the book and talking about, you know, 
times that they were frustrated with Grace or the times that they really connected with her. And it's, it's just been beyond my wildest dreams. It's so exciting. You know, Newfoundland is a place um, where um, a lot of people in this country, I've, I've lived in Vancouver my whole life. I haven't really traveled Canada as much as I should. But, but Newfoundland is a place that people say that one should go to. Um, I agree with all of those people. Yeah. It's extraordinary. It is. It was. Um, so I was able. I had funding from Access Copyright uh, uh-huh. Foundation to go and do some research, um, and it truly was uh, probably the best trip I've ever taken in my life. And I've been able to go to some pretty great places. It was. The people were extraordinary. The landscape was just so extraordinarily beautiful, and uh, it was just, it was a, it's a really, really remarkable place if anyone gets to go there. And it's, I, I found the, the landscape so varied, mm. uh, which I really wasn't anticipating. Like, there was, you know, a whole stretch that I was like, are we in, are we in, like, Ontario? Like, yeah. this is very Ontario to me. You know, other parts really seemed like, you know, the very edge of Ireland. And um, it was, it's a really, really extraordinary place. I'm really hoping I can go back. Yeah, yeah. Are you working on another book now? I am. I am. I just uh, I took September off. I wasn't allowed to write anything, uh, so I could just focus on Amelia and launching her into the world. And I've just sort of returned to uh, my next novel. But, uh, but ex- uh, the main character is a um, kids musician, mm-hmm. sort of like the early aughts answer to Sharon Wilson Brown. Um, she plays with two other people who used to be famous folk musicians back in the day, like back in the 70s. Yeah. And uh, she has a baby, and she is trying to figure out what her identity is, what definitions of success are, how she can be an artist and a mother, um, sort of picking through parts of her life where she was, you know, maybe struggling with the idea of success or struggling with the idea of artistry, um, sort of as, as she you know, also struggles with the reality of having a newborn and not being able to tour and, you know, be in front of audiences the way she, she was really used to. Well, I'm enjoying letters, uh, uh, letters to Amelia a great deal, and um, I, I can't wait to finish it. Congratulations on it and continued good luck with it, Lindsay. appreciate your time today. Thank you so very much. I appreciate it. The website for more is at lindsayzeervogel.com. The book is called Letters to Amelia. It is published by Book Hug Press. Lindsay Zier Vogel joined me on the line from Toronto and Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plunto.